So now we'll have the opportunity to listen to the Dhamma. So everyone be intent. So this Dhamma is the reality um, that all of us uh, face suffering. And that's because of our hearts don't accept the truth. When we do come to accept the truth, then that is us seeing the Dhamma. So the Buddha, before his awakening, sought out the Dhamma and he used many means to try to attain awakening. He tortured his body for six years and uh, he used different methods to do this and there was great pain that came up in his body. He tried stopping his breath. He tried going without food and fasting for long times until his body became emaciated. And the amount of painful feelings that uh, went through his body was great. But even though he had all of this effort um, into this way of practice, he still wasn't able to attain awakening. So then he started eating some food again and sat under the Bodhi tree and contemplated into the cause of suffering. What is it that um, makes suffering arise? And saw that the cause is avijja or delusion. So we have delusion in our hearts and this is what um, causes our hearts to be bound up, to be tied, to be um, pulled down by these fetters. So the first of the fetters is uh, Sakayaditi and the second is Siddhapata Bharamasa and the third uh, we can call uh, Skeptical Doubt. And so this first of the fetters is the wrong view that there is a true self and that we have a true self. And then there's uh, this attachment to uh, precepts and rituals and the doubt that we have. And so when we can abandon these, then that will reduce the amount of suffering that we have. And so a sotapanna is someone who has cut off these three fetters permanently. And there's no doubt there in them. They've all been gone. There's no doubt that this path of practice leads out of suffering. And the faith in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha will be unshakable. They'll see... um, the views around self will change and they'll see into not-self. They'll see their true self, which means that the self that we have is not-self. Normally we're deluded by these things. We see things in terms of self, in terms of me and mine. And that there is a true self there. But when we're born... But all of us having been born into this world, it's normal to uh, attach to things as being self, to be deluded in this way. But this causes us a lot of difficulty and pain. 
So the Buddha taught us to abandon our wrong views and give rise to right view, which is shining light into our hearts. And so Sotapanas are those who have entered into the stream of the Dharma. They've gone to the flow of the Dharma and their hearts go against the stream of the defilements. So even though um, we can accept this truth, or Sotapanas can accept these truths, that doesn't mean that they've abandoned all of the greed, hatred, and delusion within. The self that's, uh, that's been abandoned has been abandoned little by little. And so that means that there's no eighth life for them that it doesn't get beyond seven lives. And it's also possible or normal for Sotapanas to experience suffering every now and then, but they have the presence of mind to be able to, to uh, reflect on that and come to their senses. So even though they've seen to the Dhamma, there are still kilesas in the heart and there are still various moods and emotions that come up. There's love and there's hate, just the same, but they're able to slowly abandon those as well. It's not that they don't have any emotions at all. And another example is Lady Visaka, that um, her beloved granddaughter passed away and she cried because of this. She loved this granddaughter very much and this granddaughter was uh, very skilled in looking after the monks that whenever she would invite the monks for a meal and the Buddha for a meal, this granddaughter would take care of the whole process and, and see that everyone got served well and that the food was prepared correctly. And even though Lady Visaka understood that life is impermanent, that it's unstable, she was still very upset by uh, this passing of her granddaughter. But the Buddha taught her that if she had a hundred loved ones, then she would have a hundred sources of suffering. Because when we have loved ones, then we have to be separated from those loved ones. And this is the, the suffering that we experience from that. So she was able to understand this teaching of the Dhamma. So all of us, we should try to you know, put our effort into this practice of cultivating our minds, into um, using our kamatana, a meditation object, to bring our minds to peace until they're able to gather into samadhi. We shouldn't have any doubts in the practice because this path of sila, samadhi, panya, is the straight path, the fast path to understanding the Dhamma. So whichever methods that will allow our hearts to settle down and become peaceful, we just use those. And it's normal for the mind to be unsettled, to be scattered, to be thinking about many things going off into the past and the future. Because our minds are very attached. And then this attachment leaves us to uh, get caught into liking and disliking. And this is the birth and the death that arises in our hearts. So we should all try to find the time to, to develop this path of practice. 
and find a period of time in our day, whether it's in the evening or in the morning, to put down our duties or obligations and bring our minds to a state of peace. And throughout the whole day, we try to maintain our mindfulness and our presence of mind. And if we forget, if we allow our minds to wander off, then we try to bring them back as fast as possible. And we use whatever uh, method of meditation works for us. So whether it's the mantra of Buddha or Dhamma or Sangha, or whether we like to contemplate and contemplate and see that uh, life is not sure, but death is sure. Investigate until you can see that all things are impermanent. And this is the method of using wisdom to develop samadhi. But whichever method we use, we try to keep our mindfulness here a lot. In order to collect and gather up the energy of our hearts. So we carry on practicing like this and at times it will require a lot of endurance and forbearance because things can be very difficult but as we carry on gradually steadily developing this practice then we will experience peace in our minds and this peace will bring up an inner sense of fullness and of joy in our hearts and we'll be able to then discern the difference the difference between the normal states of our mind, which is very chaotic, full of doubts, scattered, drowsy, or uh, desiring after sensual pleasures, or getting into aversion. But when we can abandon these things and our hearts um, gather into peace, then we'll be able to see the difference. The doubts that we have around the practice will gradually lessen and lessen but at the beginning there may not be any peace of mind so we have to uh, be persistent in our efforts. Sometimes the mantra of Buddha just doesn't stay there. Sometimes we try to watch our breaths and our minds just go off and there's no peace in our minds. In that case then we use the thoughts that we have already to contemplate And a good object of contemplation is the Buddha recollecting his great virtues, recollecting the boundless compassion that he had, that through many of his lives he endured much pain, and even in this last birth that he took, he went through great physical suffering for us. And this is uh, a way that we can uh, recollect the great compassion of the Buddha. We can also bring up uh, thoughts about his great purity and his wisdom as well. And this is an easy method to bring up joy and peace. And then we'll understand for ourselves that this is what peace of mind is like. We know what the chaotic mind is like, but now we'll be able to see the difference. The peace is, is something entirely different. And when we've seen that, then we should try to get our minds into a calm state very often. Because if we don't put the effort into doing that, then the kilesas, the defilements in our hearts, will just drag our minds around all over the place. If our mindfulness is weak, then the kilesas will be tugging on the, the mind constantly into a state of chaos and confusion.
So they use the greed, hatred and delusion to do this. And so we need to have a lot of forbearance and endurance to try to keep our morality and keep our precepts well. Because if we don't keep those precepts, then the mind will be even more chaotic than before. So say if uh, we drink alcohol, then that's just a great source of confusion for us and it may even lead us to death. And this is all because of not maintaining morality. But if we keep our sila, then there's an ease that comes from that. When we eat, we just use the food in order to keep our bodies going. Whatever food isn't necessary or types of food that are harmful to our bodies, then we give those up, we abandon them. And maybe on some days we can keep the eight precepts and this is a very good practice to uh, bring about peace. It's difficult to do, but it's a, a great source of skillfulness. So when the mind is peaceful, then that allows wisdom to arise. And when our mindfulness is very quick and up to speed, then we'll gain understanding into the nature of conditions and we'll be able to abandon the attachment that we have towards them. So initially we use samadhi, we use the collected mind and the peaceful mind to bring the heart to peace. And uh, this is like putting a rock on top of grass. So that rock, it suppresses the grass, it keeps it down. But then when the rock is taken off and the grass is able to get sunlight, it's able to get uh, moisture, then it'll start growing again. And so the samadhi that we use, it, it suppresses the chelases. But when they're, suppressed, when they're suppressed like this and our minds are collected together, then we should go and seek them out and seek out the kilesas, seek out our attachments in order for wisdom to become full within us. So wisdom is knowledge that's in line with the truth and it needs to be an all-round knowledge as well, knowing all about the conditions, the sankharas. And one form of sankhara is our bodies. And we attach to these things as being me and being mine. At the beginning, we need to, to put our effort into training, into practicing, into cultivating our hearts. We do it a lot. We develop it a lot. But once we've already... Uh, practiced a lot and developed this this way of practice, then the uh, stress that our minds experience will gradually reduce. When we have mindfulness, when our samadhi is firm and when wisdom has arisen, then the knowledge, the vicha in our minds will grow and the clinging in our minds will decrease. And we'll get to a point where we're completely done with all doubts about the practice. Even though 
now we may have many doubts, we should still carry on doing it. We don't just just throw the practice away. We still keep on with it. We still train ourselves. If our minds are scattered, don't worry about it. You know, just carry on with the practice and try to use any method that works in order to, to bring about peace. And so we, and, and if the practice is difficult and it's not giving rise to wisdom, that's because the amount of peace in the hearts, it's not stable enough. So we put in our effort and try to do this every day. Try to bring our minds back to a state of stillness often. And then eventually they'll gather together in samadhi. This initially starts off with uh, kanaka samadhi, this uh, momentary concentration. But then when that's developed, it'll get into upajara samadhi, a neighborhood concentration. And it's possible to be in this state of upajara samadhi throughout the entire day. It's possible for this to happen, and we can all do that. We can all get to that point. We can develop it further until um, you can be in a state of deep samadhi for one month or even six months. So when the heart is peaceful like this, um, gradually the mind will come to gather together into one single place. And this is when the factors of vitaka, uh, vichara, Pitisukha and Ekakata come together. And what this means is that uh, Samma Samadhi, right Samadhi, is uh, occurring in our hearts. And this is the right Samadhi that's found in the Noble Path. So when our minds have gone into a state of peacefulness and then they've retracted from that state, we use that to contemplate, contemplate into physicality and mentality and see how it's all just empty. See how these bodies of our these bodies of ours are empty. Any thoughts that we have are not self. And when we look at things in this way, then gradually wisdom will arise. We see that our mind is one thing. The physical body is another thing. The Vedana that we experience is another thing. They're entirely separate things. And this is the uh, Gotara Pujita um, arising within the heart. And so we may have read about these different states, these uh, different stages of the practice in the scriptures before. We may have... Um, you know, read it over many times, but we still won't come to a true understanding of what that means. And just like uh, if there's some food that's been prepared, we need to actually put that food to our tongue in order to taste it. The ladle isn't able to taste the food. And so if we just try and use our perceptions and memories um, to practice, then those things aren't able to abandon the chelases. What we need is true wisdom to do that, and that comes about through um, the cultivation of our minds. But it is possible to use that knowledge of the scriptures once we've practiced already, and that will allow us to gain a, a clearer understanding of what's occurred in our meditation. So this state of uh, 
Gotara Pujita, it's when the mind turns from being a putojana, someone or a mind that's thick with kilesas, into uh, someone that's noble, into an arya. And this is done through contemplating into the body, seeing the body as just being mere elements, seeing it as being empty. And then the mind, once this has happened, will leave this world and it will go to Nibbana, it will taste Nibbana. And the taste of Nibbana is uh, a supreme taste. The happiness in the mind from experiencing that is great. And we'll be able to let go of physicality and mentality. We'll know that this path of practice does lead to seeing the Dhamma, for sure. And we'll gain a deeper understanding of this path. And so, maybe before we have experienced these things, but then as we carry on practicing, then these experiences will come back, and the practice will go even faster than before. We'll look into uh, the nature of sankharas and see that there's no true meaning to any of them. And then the mind feels a state of joy for three days and three nights. You may think that this isn't possible, that it's, it's just not possible for this to happen, but it can happen. <clears throat> we'll see that the things of this world, they don't tr- hold any true value. There's no real worth to them. And we th- feel that any money that we gain in this world, any wealth that we have, we just use that just to live our lives, or just, just to get by. But what's of true worth is seeking out the Dhamma. The money that we earn, it does have some kind of worth. It is necessary for us. So we use that money in order to to make merit. We use it to build up our baramis, to take care of our families and keep them uh, well, keep them happy. And we all know the amount of effort that's required to to gain this money and to be able to um, live our lives and, and have what's necessary to carry on with life. But if we contemplate, then we'll see into uh, the nature of the physical things of this world and also into the mental things as well. we'll see that it's all um, a Nietzsche, that it's all impermanent, that it all changes. And then in seeing this, the mind experiences great happiness, and a happiness that comes about through the arising of wisdom. And this stays with us for three days and three nights. When we contemplate again, contemplate into the body again, we'll see it even clearer than before. And the effort that we have in the practice, the sincerity and the mindfulness that we have will be there throughout the entire day. It will be constantly revolving around. And so, and even when we go to sleep and then we wake up again, our mindfulness will be right there. The samadhi will be firm throughout the entire day. 
And the body and mind is very light and bright at that time. And so the practice happens continuously like this and the, cont- the contemplation into the body, it, it goes on continuously, <clears throat> slowly abandoning and destroying our wrong views. Then the mind becomes empty and it leaves this world and it goes to another world. And this is the experience of vimuti, of liberation. We see things with great clarity and all doubts are removed from our minds. The peace of mind that we have, the samadhi and the mindfulness that we have, it's all in a, in a perfect state. And this is the development of this path of zila samadhi and panya. And so we then understand the nature of this world and we'll gain the wisdom that allows us to be able to let go. Maybe we'll contemplate into the body and see um, the skin uh, flake off and fall down to the ground and we'll see with great clarity that there's no self there. We see it like that at that time but what that comes from is all of the effort that we've put in, all of the training that we've done into developing peace in our minds, into keeping our body and speech uh, restrained within the limits of the precepts. And so the monks you know, use all the different methods and train ourselves well in every different aspect of uh, the monastic training. And we try to live simply, to be uh, content with little, to eat little, sleep little, speak little, to always have our bodies and our speech uh, restrained, and to be seeking out peace all the time. And when the mind is peaceful, then to use that state of mind to contemplate in order to see the Dhamma. So we put our efforts into the practice in this way. We really try to develop this practice and then we will see the fruits uh, arise within our own hearts. And also for the laity as well. Really um, try to develop this practice because you have such a good opportunity in this life. So use this life, what's left of this life, as an offering to the Buddha to try to find our true inner wealth because we already know what external wealth is like we already have that so we seek out the inner wealth and develop our paramis until they reach a state of completion until we're able to see the Dhamma and understand truth for ourselves